Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good, safe weekend. And as we kick off the week, we'll be talking a lot about the weather, growing concerns about dry weather in parts of the country. The American Farm Bureau Federation has submitted a list of recommendations for further ag assistance to uh, the Senate. And we'll talk with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, about their wish list, if you will. And we're going to get an update on the Kansas wheat harvest. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, will be joining us a little bit later on in the program. But we're going to start things off for today and for the week with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thank you for joining us from your state of Missouri, one of the few Midwest states that looks like it'll be having a state fair this year. Yes, Mike, good morning. We're not only having a state fair, although it will be limited in the types of events that are available there, but at least they will be uh, judging livestock, and they'll have some campers on hand, and it'll seem a little bit more normal as this state does return to full business mode this week. Yeah, it seems like each day, each passing week, more events get uh, canceled. So always good to talk about one that will be held. Well, let's talk about some issues. Uh, We'll start with this dicamba issue that just continues to be more controversial and confusing. And we wait now to see the next step from EPA. Yes, Mike, this has been very confusing and I think it's very frustrating for everybody who's invested in these products and now is trying to figure out if they can use them or not. As you might have seen from some of our coverage, EPA must now respond by Tuesday to this emergency motion that was filed by these four environmental groups that are seeking to enforce the Ninth Circuit order that was issued on June 3rd. Now, that order vacated... Uh, most over-the-top dicamba registrations, not for Syngenta's product, but for Corteva and the ASF and, and Bayer. Uh, since that time, we've seen Corteva and the ASF engage by filing motions to intervene. Uh, Bayer had intervened last year. And so there's a lot of different things at play. You've got EPA saying if you bought it or even prepaid to buy it, uh, before June 3rd, you can go ahead and use it. But, um, you know, a lot of folks are saying in, in different states, you know, what Illinois says is different than what Missouri and North Dakota might say, um, you know, whether or not you can go ahead. And so Wheeler has weighed in, the EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, uh, Sonny Perdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, also weighed in saying that these petitioners, these environmental groups, are seeking to cripple American farmers and their ability to do business. I mean, it's gotten very, very contentious. So we're awaiting now for EPA to respond by 5 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, June 16th, to see what's happening next. And I have heard from I've heard from listeners that have emailed me and, and expressed concerns uh, about the use of dicamba as they feel they've been damaged or hurt by drift. So they're, they're both sides of this issue out there. I think the question is, why didn't EPA appeal that decision immediately? If, if they felt strong enough and they felt they had the science and 
all the information research they needed to justify allowing dicamba to be used, why didn't they go ahead and fight that uh, court ruling immediately rather than come out with uh, their their decision that kind of left things up in the air still, uh, a lot of uncertainty? That's exactly right. That would have been a very clear-cut uh, argument for them to make that, hey, we did all the right science to start out with, but they didn't do that. And they're not really answering a lot of questions about why either. So we're still waiting to see what additional answers that we can find out. And as you point out, uh, dicamba has been controversial among some growers, and there's been some legal challenges uh, along the way as uh, we've seen uh, others who have been damaged by uh, usage that have re- has resulted in, um, well, for example, orchards and in other areas where there's been some kill-offs. So um, this has not been an easy rollout for new technology in our space. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of backstories involved also. Like, you think about the Ninth Circuit. Why does everybody go there? Because that's got the most liberal, uh, environmentally friendly judges in the nation. Uh, and you also notice that President Trump has worked really hard to get a lot of new judges and to balance out some of that. So uh, on several different fronts, this is a key battleground for American agriculture right now. Yeah, they go to that for a reason. And, uh, and of course, farmers are about not only like future tools, future technology that they're for. Uh, uh, forward. Uh, it's just that decision or that announcement by EPA to say you can use the product on hand, but we're at the same time decertifying it. You're not going to be able to use it moving forward. Uh, that was the really the confusing part about all of it. Oh, it, it certainly is. And it's hard for anybody to, you know, think about the, the retailers who have all this product on hand and what do we do with it? And, and, you know, are we stuck with it then for the year or will it be allowed next year? Uh, uncertainty is really what prevails right now, unfortunately. And I think we're having a few technical difficulties uh, with our with our line today. So uh, um, we apologize for that. We're trying to get that uh, reestablished and we'll try to get that going here in just a moment. So, again, we're talking with Sarah Wyant, editor and of AgriPulse Communications. We apologize for our uh, our technical problems. We're to get that switched over here in just a moment. Sarah, we're going to let you go while we work on our uh, our technical issues. But th- All right. So, again, we're having some technical difficulties. We apologize for that. Uh, but, again, I want to thank Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications for for joining us. Coming up next, we're going to talk weather. Uh, we'll take a look at the uh, week ahead, what we might expect. Some areas certainly could use some rain. We'll be talking about that. And also a longer range forecast through the month of June, what we might expect otherwise. Also coming up, we'll have our conversation this morning with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, will be joining us a little bit later on in the program, talking about their uh, their request to Congress for further ag assistance from COVID-19. And also later, we'll have an update on the uh, Kansas wheat harvest. All that coming up. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. And we are welcoming uh, John Baranek from DTN. He's filling in this week for Bryce Anderson. John, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Let's take a look. Uh, let's start things off with a look at the uh, week ahead. We know some areas are kind of drying. Did actually use some moisture? Who's going to get some rain this week? Yeah, so this week we've got a couple of storm systems out there. There's one kind of in the, the Appalachians. There's another one in the Pacific uh, Northwest. And in between, uh, we're stuck with a, a bunch of warm air coming up from the south. So those uh Showers will pop up here over the plains into the western corn belt uh, through the, the early portions of the week here as that uh, warm moisture comes up. Uh, but for, for, for the most part, it's going to be pretty dry across the middle of the country. Uh, we'll start to see that system that's in the Pacific Northwest slowly migrate across the northern tier of the country uh, later on this week. And then we'll see a much more consistent periods of showers here from the northern plains all the way through the Midwest and off the week. What about temperatures? We've kind of cooled down a little bit the last few days. We're going to heat back up? Yeah, temperatures this week uh, were kind of kind of nice and chill here in the, in the eastern Corn Belt, but uh, we've been kind of warm on the western Corn Belt. We'll see those kind of pop up into the uh, middle to upper 90s across uh, most of Minnesota and the eastern Dakotas down through Nebraska and Kansas. It'll be good for the, uh, the wheat harvest going on down there. But uh, yeah, we're-, we're a little concerned about some drying of the soils. Uh, with the with the winds and the temperatures, um, period of showers are going to help out with that a little bit. But we could see some dryness uh, redeveloping here in the western corn belt. What are your longer range models show, John, as far as uh, dry conditions? Uh, is this a concern going through the summer? Through the summer, it is. Uh, I've probably heard the the term La Nina pop up here recently, uh, and we're a little concerned that that. Uh, that's just kind of recently been developing here, uh, holds firm here or strengthens during the summer. Also, the models here are keeping it right at that stage where it's not quite at La Nina, but kind of is. Uh, but it does, uh, our, our models are showing a good ridge of high pressure developing over the middle of the country. It typically leads to hotter and drier conditions. However, since it's so weak, it might not be too bad um, if, it's, if it's this weak. And then we will be able to see showers, especially across the northern tier of the country, uh, moving on through like we typically see during the summertime. Uh, we'd be a lot more concerned down towards uh, the Delta region in the south uh, for dryness. However, we're also expecting uh, an increase in tropical storm activity. So uh, we could be seeing uh, some good moisture uh, interspersed between periods of dryness down there in the south. We're talking with John Baranek, DTM meteorologist. He's sitting in this week for uh, Bryce Anderson. Yeah, tropical storm activity sometimes can kick that moisture up into the Midwest, although we saw with Cristobal that wasn't necessarily the case in a very widespread area. True, yeah. It was, it was pretty limited here from Missouri, at least in the crop areas here, from the Delta up through Missouri and then through Wisconsin, uh, a lot of the eastern corn belt, but, you know, the, the heavy, heavy, uh, moisture. We did see a good two to five inch swath though from Missouri up to Wisconsin. Uh, but you, you're right. So it, they're going to be localized heavy rainfall events. Yeah. So when 
let's kind of break it down a little bit here when we when we look at different parts of the uh, of the Midwest here this growing season. Uh, let's take a look that upper Midwest portion uh, of the growing area. What do you see for them? Yeah, so upper Midwest, our models and our experience is kind of telling us that we're we're going to stay warmer than normal uh, for the rest of the summer, and um, we would be drier if we didn't get those periods of thunderstorms. So uh, typically, especially with this pattern kind of holding up, we'd expect uh, lower than normal precipitation. But since it's weak, I think we're going to be able to squeeze out periods of showers and thunderstorms. However, that may mean that since we're going to be relying on those, that some of these areas uh, locally are going to be are going to end up missing out on that and stay dry. Western Corn Belt. Yeah, Western Corn Belt, same idea. So, uh, pretty good chance of staying uh, above normal and warm, and uh, periods of showers and thunderstorms moving through, and they're going to miss some people. Eastern Corn Belt. Eastern Corn Belt, I think, has a better chance. Of, of staying a little bit more towards normal in temperatures, maybe a little bit more warm, warmer than normal, especially as we move through uh, July and August. Um, but uh, I think they've got a better chance of seeing this, this thunderstorm complex is a little bit more uh, consistent and persistent than we would further towards the west. So I think they've got a better chance, at least, of, of avoiding uh, dryness. Okay, let's... Uh move around the world a little bit here. Uh, how, how are things looking in South America? For South America, there's not really a whole lot of change from what we've seen the last uh, month or two, actually. Uh, Northern and Central Brazil have been very dry uh, over the last 60 days. Um, you know, we're just kind of getting to the end of the quarantine out there, but uh, the weather's not doing them any favors uh, for any remaining showing corn uh, in Brazil. A little bit further south, though, as we get towards Rio Grande de Sul, uh, even up to Paraná, we've had uh, much better uh, periods of showers that have moved through, and then we've got pretty good uh, growing conditions going on. We're there for the rest of their corn, cotton season, and the beginning of the wheat. Uh, we've been a little bit dry in Argentina, especially in the interior southern uh, sections, but it uh, looks like over this week, at least, you know, we'll have some uh, several storm systems moving through to bring uh, some scattered showers back into the region and then help with their emerging and developing wheat down there. What about Russia? As they become more and more of a player again in the in the world markets uh, as far as exports, what about that Black Sea region? Yeah, the Black Sea region, they had a, a pretty good heat wave last week. Uh, temperatures were getting up into the upper 90s. Uh, they did see some showers, though, so uh, that's kind of helped mitigate the heat out there, uh, but they're still running a little bit below normal and where I would think would be um, you know, widespread good conditions here for the, for the, uh, for the end of the, of the wheat uh, growing season here. Um, we'll continue to see actually heat build up through the course of this week uh, and into next week as well during that whole Black Sea region, but they've still got plenty of showers kind of interspersed with that as well, so it's kind of a mixed bag going on. Yeah, so a lot going on around the world to keep an eye on. So again, we come back here to uh, to the United States, John, and uh, as we look at these forecasts that you've talked about and given us a, a look at the, you know, it's kind of going to be spotty. It sounds like um, 
Is there a model that you look at more closely than others when you're when you're taking a look at a longer range forecast? Uh, because we hear conflicting reports. What do you look at? Yeah, you're right, and yeah, I'm not surprised that you're hearing conflicting reports because models are kind of uh, all over the place. And what we usually do uh, at DTN is, is is not just focus on one model or one we think is going to work out the best, but kind of work as a, with a blend of them. So we blend them all, all, all together a lot and, uh, you know, focus in on the tropics and, and how that usually works out, too, and kind of blend that all together. Uh, we use a lot of, of analogs, uh, too, if you've heard that term, where we look at what the conditions are now and it's kind of related to what we've seen in previous years to kind of give us an idea of what the, the next few months are going to look like. So that's kind of how we've uh, kind of put this forecast together. Um, yeah, we're worried about the La Nina. Hopefully it won't get too strong. Uh, if it does, that might mean uh, the shower chances that I was telling you about will be a little bit more scant and, and, and sparse. Um, but uh, for the most part, that's kind of what we're looking at. Okay, so again, we're having some technical problems. We're having a Monday here on a Monday, so uh, so bear with us as we try to work through that. I want to thank John Baranek with DTN for filling in with uh, for Bryce Anderson this week. We really appreciate it. Coming up next, we're going to talk it over with Zippy DeBall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, as they have submitted uh, some of their requests, suggestions to the Senate, what needs to be in another aid package for agriculture. We'll find out about that and more with Zippy the Ball next on AOA. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, welcome back. Again, we apologize having some internet issues this morning. I think our next guest can relate to those as well. We're going to talk now with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy, good to talk with you. You can you can relate to internet problems, can't you? I can, Mike. Hope you can hear me, and uh, I look forward to visiting with you this morning. Yeah, I think you're having some of those challenges as well, so we'll hopefully be able to work through them. All right. Uh, Farm Bureau, you submitted recommendations uh, to the Senate of, of some things you feel that agriculture would need in another assistance package. Tell us about your how you came to those decisions and what you submitted to uh, to the Senate. Yes, of course, we uh, reached out to uh, State Farm Bureaus. We have a weekly, weekly call with the presidents. We also have a week, weekly call with their uh, national affairs people, and we collected all the information from them as to what our producers are going to need uh, uh, going past uh, CFAP, and uh, we put it into a letter to send it to the Senate, and that's how we came up with the ask. And what were some of the highlights of that? Some of the areas that you heard from your members that they felt areas that were in most need, and what what the Senate could do to help address those needs. Well, we think one of the big areas that this was in is to replenish the uh, commodity credit corporation funding uh, to what we think the level should be this day and time is 
you know, the level set at 300 billion, but we think uh, since the last time it was increased to now with the inflation factor, that it ought to be 68 billion. And we think that's the correct number for the uh, Department of Agriculture to really be able to help American agriculture. We also uh, are, are looking for them to include the Farming Support to State Act, uh, which would provide uh, resources to states and local departments of agriculture. We think that would be beneficial. And then also to support uh, uh, biofuel and production. We had other areas like uh, supporting of livestock producers. Uh, in the CFAP program, there's no allowance in there to help uh, uh, contract poultry growers. Uh, because they actually don't own the animals, but uh, COVID-19 uh, in areas where the processing plants have went down have affected the income of those producers extremely. And we think that we need to be, go back and visit some way to be able to help those farmers get through that difficult time. We'd also like to see that the Conservation Reserve Program uh, uh, acres be uh, for an emergency haying and grazing, especially work cattle are being having to be be kept on the farm longer uh, before they go to uh, to the feedlots uh, because that's a slowdown of that chain there and uh, we think also it helped for them to uh, waiver the overtime fees for for uh, FSIS meat inspections in small medium-sized packing plants we'll go on and talk about rural health care small business uh, and where they might get continue helping us with the, the PPP program, uh, answer the question of whether or not our H-2A workers fit under that program, uh, and then also some of the broad views that uh, we continue to experience. Uh, and, and the last item I would tell you would be uh, some funding to help farmers uh, increase the housing for the agricultural workers because they're having to spread them out and, uh, and t they have to have additional housing and the extra expense of having to go to for PPP, PPE uh, and sanitation supplies for their workers. We're talking to Zippy Duvall, President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Zippy, just by that outline that you just gave us, it, it shows the need that's out there in agriculture and how impacted all of agriculture has been by COVID-19. You know, uh, in America has been affected, but agriculture has took us some terrible licks during this time, during this uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, and, you know, the economy was rocking and rolling before the pandemic hit, but it wasn't rocking and rolling in agriculture. The farm economy was already pressed. We'd had tremendous uh, natural disasters. And uh, the pandemic is just another ingredient of that perfect storm that we have faced in agriculture over the last five years. And and uh and it continues to deteriorate uh the morale of our farmers it deteriorates the financial stability of our farmers and it has deteriorated the the food chain uh so uh we're very concerned and there are extreme uh needs for our farmers still even after cpac cfap I was going to ask you, how do you feel about CFAP and how it's going, and overall the government's response as far as assistance to agriculture has been? Well, you know, we, we have really uh, uh, feel like the Congress did a good job. We appreciate the, the uh, president signing the bill. 
And, you know, you got to hand it to USDA. You take a totally new program that has affected every sector of agriculture. Uh, no program ever in the history of USDA has this been, been like this. And they delivered it, uh, you know, within a month or 45 days uh, uh, under uh, unbelievable conditions in their local offices where they couldn't take uh, cust- uh, take our farmers in and talk to them personally. So, you know, under the conditions and under the extreme need of all of America and all business, uh, we think that Congress has done a good job up to this point. We think the president and his administration done a great job. And Secretary Perdue and his uh, his staff are doing all they can do to be time, as timely as they can. And to come out with a program in that quick a time, uh, we, we just think that's pretty impressive. Of course, uh, the secretary's note told me early on that, that they knew that they'd miss something. They knew there'd be some holes in it. And if we could bring statistical data to prove where those losses were, they would try to fill those holes up. And I think that's where we're at right now. From your conversations uh, on the Hill, do you feel that there will be another package? And uh, it probably won't be the size of the what passed in the House, but do you feel the Senate will come up with a package that will include a lot of this uh, assistance for agriculture that you've requested? Well, sure. That's what we're hoping for, and we're working it hard. Of course, when you get uh, economic numbers comes out, it talks about job creation and the economy starting to crank back up. The more of that positive we hear, the more less chance it is we're going to get another package. But you know that we we need the economy to crank back up. So uh, we just continue to talk about how agriculture has not just suffered during this pandemic. That we went into this crippled uh, in a perfect storm. And we need to continue to uh, help our farmers get through this next crop and this next year uh, into a marketplace that is more stable. Uh, and and some trade deals are actually providing the results that we need see need to see happen to level the playing field across the world. Zippy, let me also ask you: Are you hearing from members uh, that are concerned about this dicamba issue? Uh, we are. Uh, we are members on both sides of this issue. And where we have in, uh, is that we have worked real ho- closely with EPA. And, uh, and of course, we were pushing them to come through with the ruling that they made where at least our farmers who had made business decisions and made a huge investment in buying product that they could continue to go ahead and use those products. And, of course, now that's being challenged in court, too. We're hoping that we're going to prevail over that so our farmers can continue to uh, uh, reap the benefits from their investment. Uh, Long term, uh, this is a product that a lot of our farmers felt like that it is uh, absolutely necessary. There's some other farmers on the other side that says, no, we shouldn't be using this chemical because of the drift factor. So, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of issues around that, that, uh, that uh, product, uh, but right now our main concern is to make sure that our farmers that have made an investment can utilize that investment. On the biofuels front, are you also um, making the push to address this small refinery exemption issue that continues to be a huge problem for the biofuels industry uh, as far as EPA granting these? You mentioned earlier, hasn't been assistance yet from Congress 
from COVID-19 relief, plus now this ongoing SRE issue really hitting the biofuels industry very hard at a time it's probably at its lowest point ever. It is, and every time I've been in the presence of this administration, whether it be the secretary, the vice president, one uh, when I was up in Des Moines with him, and even in front of the president, I make sure that they understand that that is one area that we haven't uh, really paid attention to, and I try to talk about the whole story around corn and what's happening with corn because we really were uh, excited about from corn and soybeans perspective about the phase one deal with China and now that's not materializing like uh, that we all expected uh, whatever the reasons might be whether it's just the rhetoric between two countries or whether it's COVID-19 causing a lot of it we don't know exactly and I'm sure it's shared between the two issues and then, and then, and then uh, we already had depressed price, and now you shut down, you create an environment where it's difficult for our ethanol plants to stay open. We not only uh, lose a market for our corn, we also lose the byproduct coming from that corn, and it hurts the animal mm-hmm. side of agriculture because of those feed uh, uh, byproducts are not coming out to them. So, yes, yeah, it's been difficult, but we continue to talk about that issue uh, every day. Well, Zippy, good to talk with you again. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. I enjoy being with you. Thank you, and God bless you. Take care. Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, joining us here on AOA. Stay with us. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Wheat harvest starting to roll in Kansas. Joining us now with an update is Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Justin, thanks for joining us. Uh, Give us an update. How's it going? Oh, we're just now getting started, Mike. Uh, Thanks for checking in. Uh, You know, things have been rolling pretty good through Oklahoma and just now getting started through the southern part of Kansas. And, And although it isn't very good uh, weather for some of the row crops that are being, that are trying to get started out there with the high temperatures and the wind and the dryness. It does make for pretty good harvest weather for wheat. Yeah, how much is done so far, do you think? Oh, just very little, very little. We're just now getting started. The crop conditions report that comes out today, I would I would suspect we're, we're in the single digits of percent harvested at this point. You know, uh, as we've Things have progressed pretty rapidly through Oklahoma. Everybody was anticipating with the high temperatures and dryness that things may get a pretty good start in Kansas over the weekend. I think what we found out was combines started getting into the fields and doing some test cutting that even though uh, some of the kernels were were dry in the head, uh, some of the plants and stems were still, there's just a little bit of green out there still. So it's, uh, you know, when we had... uh, crop conditions report earlier in the uh, earlier in the month about the crop harvest being a little bit further behind uh, I think we're finding that out that even though we're have good harvest conditions of that crop just in a lot of spots just needs a few more days before we really get things going but uh, looks like things with the weather this week that uh, it could be a pretty busy harvest week for Kansas yeah I know when you and I talked late last week you thought that maybe this past weekend a lot would really get going but as you said not quite as fast as you thought but 
So the forecast, though, looks favorable for harvest this week? It's, it certainly does, Mike. Uh, you know, I was with a couple people over the weekend, and they were getting combines in the field. Everybody's starting to get a little bit anxious. It's that anxious, exciting time of the year. Uh, but as they got into the field, the moistures were a little bit high, uh, and so uh, they were kind of trying to go find that field that was dry enough to get to get cut. Uh, early on yields, though, and then some of those test cuttings does uh, look to be pretty promising. You know, similar to the, the you know the yield that we were seeing in that central corridor. You know, a lot of times when wheat harvest happens, hard hard winter wheat, how the crop starts coming in around Enid is a good indicator of how Wichita, that southern corridor of Kansas, will look. And, and early indications look to be uh, really similar to that with yields kind of 40 to 60 bushel type yields with, with really exceptional test weights at this point. That's, that's really one of the stories and themes we're seeing with this hard red winter wheat crop is uh, you know, above average yields in the central corridor offsetting somewhat some of the lower yields that we're seeing out west due to the drought. But just test weights in general look and berry quality look to be pretty exceptional at this point. All right, we'll be looking forward to talking with you throughout the harvest and see uh, just if uh, that optimism is justified as you uh, get into the actual uh, field results. Uh, but now it sounds like it's going to start happening fairly quickly, though, right? Yeah, it certainly does. You know, uh, you know, we are seeing some combines starting to go in the. Uh, Oklahoma Panhandle in that southwest corner of Kansas. Now, when you look at that drought monitor, you know that that's the unfortunate area of the hard red winter wheat crop. Uh, that's uh, where there's a lot of fields that were abandoned just because it's been so dry in those areas. And so the fields that didn't get abandoned, some early end, uh, reports were kind of 20 to 30 bushel type yields. Uh, and so there's going to be that corner uh, in uh, the Panhandle region in southwest Kansas where yields aren't going to be as good. Combines are starting up there. Uh, today and tomorrow, and we'll get a little bit better indication of that. But certainly yields are going to be a little bit lower there, but uh, uh, anticipating that central corridor, and as we get further north, uh, yields uh, amazingly kind of uh, rebounded from all the challenges that we've had with this year's crop. Yeah, if those uh, if the numbers turn out as good as you're hoping, I mean, that'll be quite a quite a story, considering how concerned you were not that long ago about the kind of harvest you might have. That's right. You know, a lot, you and I spoke in, in length about that freeze event that happened at Easter freeze and and the, the noticeable tillers, uh, primary tillers that were lost when we had the sustained cold temperatures from April 13th through April 17th. But, uh, boy, it sure with the moisture and the cooler temperatures that we had the month of May, the secondary tillers really were able to come on, and you're seeing that with those in that central corridor of Oklahoma, how the crop responded, and and uh, early uh, early thoughts for that central part of Kansas responding that the freeze damage is going to be more more spotty uh, than widespread, just because uh, the crop was able able to recover from it. Uh, the, uh, the the concern is going to be, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have reports of pretty decent above average yields in that central corridor, and you're going to have below average yields and some unfortunate fortunate yields from those drought-stressed areas, Mike. Well, as you mentioned, the weather may not be ideal for row crops right now, but it sure looks like it's going to work out for you this week for harvest. Yeah, and all those guys need to make sure they stay hydrated. I think we're, we're anticipating 
uh, you know, 30 mile an hour uh, southern winds and uh, 100 degree temperatures here, kind of uh, through through Thursday. So it's uh, certainly going to be uh, wheat harvest wheat harvesting weather. Yeah, uh, even though it's good harvesting weather, there are those challenges uh, for those out there doing the harvesting. It, it is. It is. It's a it's an anxious time of year, and everybody wants to, you know, because you never know when that next hailstorm may pop up, when that crop's ready to go. Uh, you know, there's been a year's worth of uh, work and worry that's into the into this winter wheat crop, and so it's a uh, when that crop's ready to go, that's when those harvest crews really really try to get that crop in, because uh, you know, as you've seen uh, many years, that that crop isn't made till it's in the bin for sure. Uh, and so that uh, gets to be an anxious time of year, but certainly a time of year everybody needs to make sure we're being safe, not just the harvest crews and, and farmers that are in the field, but for all of uh, everybody else that's on the road, be sure you take a little extra time and give those trucks and combines and farmers that are doing doing wheat harvest a little extra, a little extra space on the roadway. For sure. Be careful. All right, Justin, we'll check in with you next week, and we'll have a little more to talk about. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Week. Thanks for joining us, everyone, here on AOA. AOA.